Amen, amen, amen. We are in a timeless testament series going through the major stories of the Old Testament and seeing how they really radically apply to our life and how we can see Jesus Christ uh, in them. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we're just going to be going through multiple chapters today uh, talking about the story of David and Saul. But uh, maybe today uh, you are in a difficult relationship or you're dealing with a difficult relationship. And we'll just call it having a people problem. And uh, just a show of hands, how many people have ever had a people problem? Everybody. Good, because we all people. And it might be somebody sitting next to you, right? Uh, you never know. You might have brought your problem with you to church today. Um, but hopefully we're going to learn a few things today in the Word that is going to challenge us uh, as we go through. All of us are going to go through people problems. And perhaps uh, today somebody has been throwing anger at you. Maybe they've been throwing bitterness or rage. Uh, so how do we navigate this time? Do we fight or do we flee uh, from sometimes these love-hate relationships? Uh, sometimes people can love us one moment and hate us the next. And, and we all go through that in, in our families, in our friends, in our workforces, uh, in our schools. Uh, Jesus tells believers that because of him and because of the Holy Spirit in us, his character is being produced in us. And because of that, uh, people will naturally, of this world, worldly people will hate us. They will, uh, we will be enemies of the world. And uh, we know that, whether it's in our work, our family, our marriage, or even at church sometimes, some of our people problems are actually spiritual. Uh, sometimes there's a spiritual reason for the issues that we have in our works uh, or our families and our marriages. And Satan likes to use people in our lives. He likes to destroy, try to destroy us mentally. He likes to destroy us uh, emotionally, spiritually, and hopefully uh, not in your case that sometimes we, we are attacked physically as well. Uh, so we got these spiritual problems that the Bible promises us are going to be going on that might be coming through as people problems. So what do we do when our relationships, uh, as believers, when our relationships become toxic? That's what we're talking about today. What happens? What, what do we do in those uh, times? And we're looking at the story of David here in 1 Samuel 18, and David's wilderness story uh, really reveals how the believer must follow God, how a believer must follow God to know when to flee and what to fight. That's what we're talking about today, that a believer has to follow God to know when to flee and what to fight. When are we fleeing and what are we fighting? Let me give you this story of this love-hate relationship between David and Saul. Okay, so uh, the Holy Spirit has left Saul, and the Bible says, now Saul was filled with the Spirit. He prophesied by the Spirit. He was anointed by the Spirit, commissioned to be the king of, of Israel. But because he kept following his own plans, his own glory, his building his own kingdom, that he ultimately completely backslid and turned, turned his back on the Lord. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit departed from Saul. I, I was really more the, the Saul departed from the Spirit. And it says that an evil spirit came. The Lord allowed an evil spirit to come torment Saul. So Saul has this spiritual sickness. 
He's no longer anointed to be king. And, and David at this time, there's this little boy we talked about last week. He's won this great battle against Goliath because the Spirit's anointed him. And then now David has begun to won, other, won over other people. He's won over Jonathan, Saul's son. He's won over the armies of Israel because of his faith and his fervor and his passion for the Lord. He's won over the women of Israel. They're singing songs about him in the street. And he's even won over Saul's daughters. And so this is uh, Saul in this moment as he sees David growing as a leader and the anointing on his life. He begins to hate him for it because he don't have it anymore. And so he sees uh, David prospering, 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. And it says that Saul was overtaken by the fear of what man thought. He was overtaken by the fear of his own failure. And now he's overtaken in 1 Samuel 18, verse 12, by the fear of David's success. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had anybody envious of you or not, or just mad at you for no good reason. Uh, I have just mad at you for no good reason. Uh, and that happens sometimes. And sometimes, in this case, uh, it's when we see God uh, working in David's life, but in the other person, God has abandoned this person because of their sin and their repeated uh, uh, putting away God's repentance. And it says the devil takes this person over and... One author says it this way, he says, There is no end to the wickedness that can result when Satan begins to work on a person and we turn from God's repentance. So there's no end to what's going to happen. And Saul shows this is a life without the Spirit. It's devoid of love and it's devoid of a sound mind. So Saul goes through some things. When you turn from God and God is trying to get a hold of you and get a hold of you and get a hold of you, and eventually, man, you keep going, no, 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 I'm going to go my way, my way is better, I don't care what you say, God. God gives you over to your own devices. And what happens is this downward spiral, and maybe you've seen it in people in your family, or maybe you've been through it. It's this downward spiral where things don't even begin to make sense anymore. You don't even know why you're thinking that way, and it all starts with something small like this. What started out in Saul's life, if you go through this passage, it says that he started out being jealous of David. And that jealousy, it began to grow to suspicion in 1 Samuel 18, verse 9. And then it says, go on in verse 15, it says it grew to fear and eventually dread that Satan was taking Saul on this roller coaster ride of emotions, and Saul was no longer in control. He was no longer in the driver's seat. And sin is like that. It wants you to think that you're in control. I got this. I can handle this. It's a little bit of an addiction. I can do this. I'm in control. Don't tell me I'm not in control. I'm in control. I'm not angry. You're angry. I can handle my anger. You don't talk to me about my... How many, you know, you know, you've been in these conversations before? Don't talk to me about my anger. I'm not depressed. You just leave me alone. It's because of you. I'm depressed. And blah, 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 blah. And that little begin, that seed begins to grow. And so we went from jealousy to suspicion to fear. And that fear drew to dread. And guess what happened to dread? Dread grew into anger. And if you look at this, Saul went from all the stages of anger. He got a little indignation with David. How dare he? Who does he think he is? Then it grew to wrath and fury and rage. Saul eventually became bipolar. In this moment, sin had led him to a bipolar life. That one minute, he's depressed and tormented. And the next minute, he's yelling at his family for no reason. He's cursing people out for no reason. And ultimately, I don't think Saul even knew why. I think sin had come to that place in his life. And because Saul would not repent, delusion, delusion was the destination of this satanic roller coaster that Saul was on. Everyone was out 
to get him. So he had the mental torment. Then he had relational torment. David never received his reward for killing Goliath. David, the guy that really served and loved Saul the most, he didn't even fulfill the promise to David to give him his first daughter. Uh, We don't even really hear of David's reward coming into play. And so he's made false promises. So that relationship tensions happen. But yet David's still serving. David's still ministering. David's ministering in music to Saul. David's ministering by the military to Saul. But this relational torment began just with that. A little lie, a little false promise, a little false hope. And then it began to when he saw Jonathan standing up for David, then he got mad at his own son. And at one point later in the story, he even throws a spear at his own son, intending to kill his own son. He gets mad at his daughter for standing up to David and curses her out. And then that suspicion, that rage, and that anger begin to grow. And so his family breaks apart. And they don't even like their dad anymore. And they don't even know why. Where's my dad? This isn't the dad I used to know. And so we see that breakdown in the family, all because of sin, all because of of, uh, failure to repent and follow God. And that sin began to take him away. Then it happened at his work. He began to get suspicious of the people around him. And so much so that Saul had a spear that he kept by him at all times. And he even slept with this spear because he was paranoid that everybody was out to get him. And this sin had taken over his life. And so... He takes David one time. Saul's tormented by his demons. David's playing the harp, and David's ministering to Saul. He takes that spear. He hurls it at David, intending to kill him. But David's a good little whippersnapper, and he, he's, a, he, he, he's a military guy. He dodges it. And so David's like, whoa, that was close. What's going on here? But yet David's faithful, stays with him. And so what's happened? Saul takes David. He says, I don't want you in my court anymore. I don't even like you anymore. I don't know why. But then, then another moment. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. I love you. I wish things were better. I don't know why I'm acting this way. Another moment. I can't stand you. I hate you. What are you always doing this? Another moment. Man, I'm just so sorry. And I don't know if you've been in those relationships or not, but you've had to endure people like that because they're not right with God. They're up. They're down. And so Saul begins more afraid. He even puts David out on the front line, says, just, you know what? Just get out of my presence. I'm going to put you on the front line. I'm hoping he's going to die in battle. And then Saul's daughter gets up growing to like David Uh, And they ended up getting married. And that alone puts more tension on Saul because now David's in his family. So maybe you've held on to false promises in a relationship roller coaster before. Maybe people have manipulated you. Ultimately, Saul would try to kill his own son. He wouldn't stand with David anymore. He'd accuse his own staff. And the more Saul felt like he was losing control, the more he caused suffering of those around him. So he had mental torment, relationship torment, and then ultimately physical torment. Saul's sin would begin to warp his mind, it begin to warp his relationships, begin to warp his body. He wouldn't be happy with himself, and because he's not happy with himself, he's not happy with anybody around him, because he's not happy with God, his family breaks down, his kingdom begins to break down, and ultimately Saul would come to a moment where he would cross that line because he heard that a priest and a priest's family in this town had housed David later on. Saul would call those priests out, curse them, and then he would have somebody kill them. He would wipe out a priest, women and children, animals, the whole family. And along the way, Saul would continue to quote Scripture. He would continue to quote God was for him and not against him. He would continue to quote and bless people in the name of the Lord. You know, sometimes because of sin's delusion, we get so wrapped up in our issues and it becomes all about us, we don't even see the picture that I've lost Scott a long time ago. And we can quote the Facebook, we can wear the Christian t-shirts, and we can still go cuss somebody out on Monday. 
because we're delusioned in our relationship with God. And Saul was blind to his own sin. He could think God was for him, but despite all the evil he did, in one breath he could repent, and the next breath he could make promises, and then the next breath he could go back to hatred. And once sin gets a hold of us, Scripture illustrates we go from bad to worse. And people who reject God, we will be prone to lying, and we'll even be prone to killing, just like Satan. We can kill people with our words. We can kill people with our actions. And those who are not right with God will really not get along with God's people. And sometimes that person who really hates you at work may, don't even, may not even know why they hate you. That unbelieving spouse may not even know why that they want to argue with you all the time. That rebellious son or daughter that you've been trying to bring back into the fold and praying for and trying to love on, they may not even know why they're angry with you because on the inside, you and I were made first to be in right relationship with God. And when that broke, that breaks, Satan comes in. He wants the last thing for you to give up yourself, to give up control and come back to God on your face, repenting so that God can bless you. But the sin says no and self says no and Satan says no. So what was David to do? And what are you to do when you encounter relationships like this? We're going to learn to talk about trusting in God's timing and trusting in God's testimony. I'm going to talk to you three things, though, is fleeing in faith and fighting in faith. Let's talk about fleeing first. Listen to what happened. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 9. Just flip over one. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 9. So you got the background of this love-hate relationship. Uh, and so it says, Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul, and he was sitting in his house with his spirit in his hand, and David was playing a harp uh, with his hand. So Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he stuck the spear into the wall. You know you throw a spear hard when you do that. And David fled and escaped that night. There was a breaking point in these two relationships. This is the second time he threw a spear at David. I don't know about you, but if you throw a spear at me, I'm probably not going to be hanging around with you when you have a spear in your hand and I'm across the room. We didn't cross this once, but David's a better man than Heath Harris. So Saul's over there. I'm sure David's playing the harp like this. You know, he's one eye. Where, everybody see this. He's got a spear in his hand. This has happened before. And sometimes you try that with relationships. I gave him a chance. You know what? I'm good. I'll give you another chance. God gave me a chance. I'm going to give you a chance. And we should do that. David illustrates that we're supposed to give people chances. Peter said, God, how many times should I forgive? And basically, Jesus says 70 times 7. That means an infinite number, a perfect time. God's perfectly forgiven you. You should perfectly forgive somebody else. And so David is saying, you know what, God? You've called me here. I'm going to minister in music. I'm going to minister in the military. I'm going to serve this man because that's who you've called me to serve. And so David does that. But there began a breaking point. This was a moment where Saul was, was crossed David's boundaries to the nth degree, and he tried to kill him. And David fled away, but this time Saul began to pursue. Last time, Saul let him go, and then, hey, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. This time, Saul sent soldiers after him, and they hunt him down in his house to take him to arrest him. So David flees from his house, and he runs, and he goes to the wilderness. And despite David's faithful ministry, Saul is pursuing David and hunting him down. Saul would try to kill David after this moment. Uh, 11 more times, to over 12 times in total, Saul would try to kill David. You know, sometimes you can do everything right, but people will still keep throwing spears of insult. They'll throw spears of slander. They'll throw other types of abuses at you. So what do you do? You pick that spear up and throw it right back, right? 
I mean, that's what most of us would do. You just threw that at me. I'm going to take that spear and, you know, this is the last time. I did this the last time and you said you wouldn't do it again and blah, blah, blah. And we begin to throw those insults right back. We begin to throw that slander right back. We begin to throw that abuse right back. But what did David do? You know, sometimes we feel like uh, fleeing is failure. You know, Israel, we read that story just the last week. Israel fled when Goliath came out. And you think, man, we're not supposed to flee. We're not supposed to give up. We're, not, we're supposed to fight. We're supposed to go at it. The battle is the Lord's. And why wasn't this the same with Saul? Here's David, a man who ran towards a giant as a 15 or 10-year-old little boy, a 9-foot-tall giant with 125 pounds of armor. He ran at him with nothing, just a slingshot and a staff. And here's this king who's getting old, who's going crazy because of sin. And David could have taken that spear and finished this once and for all and been the rightful king of Israel because God had ordered him to do so, and that was God's plan for his life. But why didn't David fight Saul like he did Goliath? Why didn't David fight Saul like he did Goliath? It wasn't the same. Israel had fled Goliath in fear, but David had ran in faith. And this time, David would flee, not in fear, but in faithfulness. David was not fleeing in fear, but he was really fleeing, I believe, in faithfulness. God had not called David to kill Saul. He knew it. God had not called him to end this relationship at this time. God had not called David uh, to uh, break apart the kingdom. He loved Saul. He had compassion on his spiritual condition. And David had fought Goliath for God's glory. But if he would fight Saul in this moment, it would be for his glory. Are you more concerned with taking that person down because it makes you look right? That's, That's tough. Are you trying to take that person down because you want them to get back right with God? Are you, are, are, what are, why is the reason for this situation? What's the reason that you would want to attack this person? What's the reason that you want to try to solve this? And so David loves Saul, but he had fought Goliath for God's glory, but he would flee from Saul from God's glory. Amen. You got to know which is which in your relationships and your uh, walk with God. So let me give you five really quick things of When should you flee? When should I flee? Sometimes we think, well, maybe I'm going to be giving up on this job. I don't really want to give up on this family member. And and Lord knows I don't want to give up on my spouse. The Bible says that God hates a a divorce, that God wants a husband to die for his wife and a wife to respect her husband, that the two shall be one, and and that's it. That's forever, uh, that till death do us part. Uh, That's God's intention for marriage. Uh, That's God's intention. The Bible says you should honor. Sometimes you have parents that you may not be able to have a relationship with. But the Bible says you should honor your father and your mother. That God's design is that. And so the Bible also says you are to submit to authority. That means you're not supposed to cuss out your boss and take the whole, uh, you know, cafeteria over and make a mutiny in the lunchroom and make a big walk out. That you're supposed to respect authority and honor authority and honor marriage and honor your parents. But sometimes to survive spiritually, you may have to separate yourself for a season. Sometimes for you and I to survive mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, you may have to separate yourself from a toxic, toxic relationship 
for a season. Let me give you five real quick things. How do you know if it's okay uh, to flee in this moment? Number one is this. You can flee, and I would say that you need to meet all five, all five of these. Number one is that when it's not giving up, but it's giving in to God's will. It's not giving up on that relationship, but it's giving in to God's will. We have to seek the Lord and pray. The Bible says that you should let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Bible says if you become a living sacrifice, you'll know his good, pleasing, perfect will for your life. That as you begin to work out yourself in relationship with God, God's going to reveal his will to you, and you're going to check it against the word, and you're going to check it in prayer. And letting go of that relationship is not going to mean you're no longer going to love that person. It does not going to mean you're not only going to, you're not going to forgive that person. It means you're going to pray for them. It means you're going to continually seek unity with them. The Bible says that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute, uh, persecute you. So it doesn't mean we're giving up, but it's giving in to God's will. So pray and seek the Lord. Number two is this. When should I flee? When you've checked yourself. David would, in this moment, David two times would meet with Jonathan. And Jonathan was a righteous man who is willing to give David his own kingdom. And Jonathan shows that there's this good friend in his life, a spiritual person, a righteous man. And he went to uh, Jonathan basically said, Jonathan, if, am I wrong? Did I do something to deserve your dad's wrath? And if so, you kill me. You, I'd rather take the arrows from you than him. And I need a friend in my life that can tell me if I'm being stupid. I need a friend in my life that can tell me if I'm acting a fool or am I, am I ignorant. I don't want a friend that's going to tell me what I want to hear. Listen to me now. If you have friends that are going to just give you the Facebook, oh, it's so great, I'm glad I'm blessing you, I'm praying that that would just be the best relationship and work out for you, oh yeah, you should leave him or you should leave her, that's what I would do, that's what the Bible... You need a person who can just get up in your face and say, hey... I'm going to tell you like it is, and I'm going to tell it whether you like to hear it or not. But I know that person is a praying person. It's a Bible-believing, church-going, spirit-filled person, an elder of the church, a pastor, uh, a faithful friend. And so David checked himself. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe there's issues in my life that I've got to search my heart, and I need counsel in. So number one, it's not giving up, but it's giving in to God's will. Number two, it's checking yourself. Number three, it's when you can no longer minister effectively. No matter what Saul said, they, or no, sorry, no matter what David said, Saul, it didn't make any difference. You can sometimes get to a point with a person that no matter how much you witness to them, no matter how much you say things to them, it's not changing anything. And Jesus even said to his disciples, there may come towns in your walk with God that you're going to have to shake the dust off of your feet because you're not effective there. God may have to bring somebody else to that town to break through that barrier. But your message in this season is not working. So maybe it's a coworker or a friend or a family member that, you know what, I've tried and I've tried. I've been faithful. I've been faithful. I'm praying. I'm checking myself. But this is just not working. And I'm trusting the Lord. I'm resensing from the Lord. I can't minister effectively to this person. I can't be the son or daughter that I'm called to be because I'm going to lose something of my own spirituality. I can't be the friend to this person that I need to be, uh, and they're not receiving Christ from me. Instead, they're affecting my spirituality instead of me affecting their spirituality. And sometimes that happens. You've got to be careful of who is affecting you, that you're more affecting them. And so we go on to number four. Number four is when you're being abused, verbal Mental, emotional, physical. David teaches us it's okay to say no to abuse. Enough was enough. 
He, he didn't let there and let Saul just keep stabbing him. Uh, now, the, there's a time and place, and we see Scripture lead us to become martyrs. That's not one of these times, and that's a whole different conversation. This is about uh, abuse, that David knew God's plan for his life. He knew his ministry was broken to Saul. He's checked himself, and the Lord is leading him not to stay and fight, but to flee. His boundaries repeatedly were getting broken. He said, no, enough was enough, and it was getting dangerous. Number five is, when you're ready to end well. Maybe this is the most important one. David was willing to end well this relationship. It was for a season. What does David do? He didn't stand there and just get speared. He dodged it. But then he quietly left with his mouth shut. He didn't go have a pity party on Facebook. He didn't go rouse up the town. And can you believe what Saul did to me? He didn't go to his troops who were faithful more to David than to Saul, by the way. He didn't take the militia with him. He left out the back door quietly and alone. God has not called you to divide your church. He's not called you to divide your family. He's not called you to divide your workplace because you think you're right. You might be right. Probably, you probably are. In most these believer, non-believer scenarios. But David kept his mouth shut and trusted in the Lord. So David, in so doing, left an open door of reconciliation. And we'll see in a, here in a minute that David is always interested in reconciling with Saul. So that's when you should flee, but how you should flee. David could have taken Saul's spear with him. When you should flee, we just went through those, but how you should flee. You should flee empty-handed. What do I mean by that? What if David had taken Saul's spear with him? I'm going to pull it out of the wall. This guy's never going to hurt anybody again. He's never going to do this to me again. I'm just going to make it. I'm going to make him pay. This is the spear he loves. This is the thing he loves. I'm going to key his car. I'm going to slash his tires. I'm going to, you know, make it known around the world that this guy is a jerk and he's no good and he should never be king anymore and he's not worthy of this position. This is what, and that's what we do. You know what you just did? You took his rage with you. You took his anger with you. You took his unforgiveness with you. And you walked out that door with everything he threw at you. Sometimes we take it all with us. Um, that begins to affect us. They threw that anger. They threw that unforgiveness. They threw that slander at you. And you, maybe you're not going to throw it back at them, but you can still take it with you. You can go out of that door defeated overwhelmed, and he never even hits you, but you have that thing in your hand, and you know, I could use this at any time, and when I'm, the time is right, he's going to be sorry, she's going to regret she ever did that, and I'm going to tell, I've got the anger, the rage, the malice, the unforgiveness right here waiting. Don't we do that? David left empty-handed. Are you leaving that relationship with Christ-like love and joy and peace and patience and self-control? Romans says in chapter 12, verse 18, If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take own revenge, but, beloved, leave room for the wrath of God. It's written, Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. Peace comes from God, and it can be in you. But you may not always be able to have peace with other people. It says, So as it depends on you. He wasn't worried about Saul's peace. 
David was in control of his peace. His peace was in the Lord. You may not get peace with somebody you're trying to get peace with. That doesn't mean you can't still have your own inner peace with God. And so far as it depends on me, I'm going to be in peace. I can't control that person. I can't control what they're going to say or do, what they're saying about me, how they're going to respond. But I can control how I leave this room. I'm going to leave in the peace and joy and self-control and fullness of the Holy Spirit that is great, rightfully mine by Jesus Christ. And Satan wants you to fight back to that person who pushes all your buttons. He wants you to... Now, Jesus says, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. That means if, if that anger and that self-righteousness, it's going to kill you too if you try to use it against your enemies. You, if you begin to be a slanderous person, you're going to die by slander. If you begin to be an unforgiveness person, you're going to die by unforgiveness. Your spirituality, whatever you're trying to use against those people, is going to come back and haunt you and kill you and rob you of all the joy. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25 says, It's with gentleness you correct those who are in opposition. Perhaps God's going to grant them repentance and lead them back to the knowledge of truth, and they can come to their senses, and they're going to escape from the snare of the devil who's holding them captive to do his will. What's your goal in this? When should you flee? How should you flee? Is it about your story and what they did to you? Or is it about God's story and what God can do to them? Am I more concerned about being right, about my position being known, about what the offense was? And everybody knows what he did to me. He never paid me. He made my, he made my marriage horrible. He did this, and he never uh, gave me the glory for killing Goliath. And he just knew. I mean, people should know how awesome I am. People should know that I'm, I'm a good person, and people should know all this. David's like, I'm just giving it to the Lord. He fights my battles. So that's fleeing in faith. And then he goes on fighting in faith. How do you fight? Because there is something we want to do here in fighting. So David in haste now, remember the second time, spear goes in the wall. David flees, doesn't take the spear with him. He doesn't even, uh, even when he goes home, he has to leave so quickly. He doesn't even get his own armor. He doesn't even get his own sword. So he flees, he runs. And what does he run to? He runs to Samuel. He runs to Samuel, who is his trusted friend and elder, his pastor, if you will, the prophet of God, the priest, to get counsel and safety and security. So he runs to a person of God, and probably that's what you should be doing too. But as he gets there, Saul hears of it. And so Saul says, I'm coming after him. Man, this is an awesome story. First Samuel, uh, and, uh, First Samuel chapter 19, verse 18. Uh, David is running. He flees to Samuel. And so these troops come to get him. And so as they come, man, Samuel and his prophets, and they're having a good old church service. I mean, the Holy Spirit is moving. And as these guys come up there, boom, those guys begin to fill the Holy Spirit and prophesying. So Saul's like, okay, let's send another one. Second time comes around. Another troop comes up. Same thing. As soon as they get close, the presence of God comes on them, knocks them out. And then the third time says, get up there and get that boy and bring him back. And again, they get slain in the spirit again, prophesying. And so Saul says, finally, I'll go get him myself. And Saul pursues him. Saul gets up to the presence of where Samuel and the prophets are prophesying. God slays him in the spirit. We have that term in the Pentecost, slaying him in the spirit. He begins, falls on his face, prophesying all day and all night long, Wiped out by God. Don't you know God is fighting for you? Amen. Sometimes we got to let God begin to fight our battles and let have spiritual victory. So as David was waiting on God's plan, God, I don't know what to do in this moment. God, how do I get through this time? God's like, just trust me. I got you. 
As long as you're faithfully following my will and my plan, know I am for you, not against you. I'm going to begin to fight your battle. So as God was holding off the enemy for pursuing David, he's like, you will not touch my anointed. You're not going to get him right now, devil. And he let David out the back door to continue to run. God could have rescued David in that moment and said, it's over, but he didn't. Sometimes you've got to trust God's plans even if they don't make sense to you. God, why am I going through this? God, if you could just, you could move heaven and earth right now. You could fix this problem. You could just wipe that guy out. You could fix this. You could fix my reputation. You could make my finances better. You could put a million dollars in my bank account, God. You could do whatever it takes. But God's like, you know, I'm holding back the enemy right here. You keep on going. I got a promise. I got a plan for you. I have a promise for you. He begins to walk, man, and David began to know about spiritual weapons. David goes on to a next city where the priest and the, and the, uh, the ark was. Uh, and he go, uh, goes to this priest. And he's hungry. He says, man, don't you have something to eat? I'm on a special mission. Now, David began to kind of question. David would get into trouble in the next few chapters. He'd be uh, trusting in his own self some. He wasn't a perfect dude. But as he began to uh, talk to this priest, he says, I got no food here. I only have the, the holy bread from the table of the Lord's presence. It was the special bread that every day they would set special bread before the Lord as an offering. And every day they would remove that bread to put fresh bread. So they had just removed the bread, set it aside, and that was holy bread for the priest to eat. And he says, David, all I've got is holy bread. It's consecrated bread. You've got to be right with God to eat this bread. And David says, yeah, we are, or I am. Uh, and so David takes that holy bread and begins to eat it for nourishment. And then David says, well, I don't have anything to fight with. I ran away so quick. Uh, priest, do you have any weapons here? And he says, this house you got, I don't have anything. But what I do have, guess what I have? I have the sword of Goliath hiding in the back that you gave to the Lord years ago. And David said, there's nothing like it. Give it to me. You know, when you begin to trust God to fight your battles, don't you know God is going to provide the sustenance you need and the weapons you need? David did not need to go on uh, Facebook and declare his crime of Saul. He didn't need to go out and eat ice cream all night and have a pity party with himself and get filled up on ice cream and depression. But what he did go get up is filled on, on the living bread, the bread of life, the fresh manna from heaven that is Jesus Christ that is going to dwell in your spirit and soul richly, the Bible says, is going to be the sustenance in the word of God that you need in troubled times. And then David didn't need to go on uh, and begin to accuse Saul and fight him in this season. But what he did know is that I've got a testimony that God defeated my giants again, or has before, and he's going to defeat them again. And so this is the weapon, and it's proof that I've got a testimony in my God. So David went out with fresh bread and a fresh testimony, a reminder that God is for me and not against me. And if he went through me with Goliath, he's going to go through me with a Saul. And so you've got a fresh bread today, and you've got a testimony. But here's the real battle that David was going to be fighting, the battle you're going to have to fight too, is it really wasn't a physical battle, it was a spiritual battle. David had to, like I said, leave the spear there. But what the spears kept fighting, David, were this. David got considered as an outlaw and a rebel. Here's a man that people were singing his praises on one day, and on the next day they were cursing him. He's an outlaw, he's a rebel, but he didn't fight his reputation. Saul's men began to lie about David and said, hey, David wants to kill you. So he had lies uh, about him, but David didn't fight the lies. So what does David do? The Bible says in 1 Samuel 23 that David kept inquiring of the Lord. And even though he was running from Saul, he was still fighting the Philistines. That while he was on the run, he was still fighting the real enemy. 
Don't get distracted by your people problems. You're not fighting. The Bible Bible says we're not fighting carnal things, fleshly things, but we're fighting a spiritual enemy uh, of of places in uh, spiritual evil in high places that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're spiritual. We don't. Uh, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. And so David kept focus on the real battle. The real enemy today is the devil. He wants you to hate your persecutors. He wants you to have self-worth issues. He wants you to get depressed in this time. He wants you to lose inner peace. He wants you to be pessimistic. He doesn't want you to have a future relationship. He wants you to put all these walls around you to guard you. And and I'll never trust anybody again. Nobody's going to ever do that to me again. So I'm going to put all these walls and garbage and baggage and burdens on me. I'm going to carry for years this pain, this sorrow, these fears, these anxieties. And David said, enough's enough. I'm not fighting that battle. I'm fighting this spiritual battle. And David would continue to be victorious even in the wilderness. The Bible says we should hold up the shield of faith to stop fiery arrows of the devil. Two times David would have the opportunity to kill Saul. He would fight, most importantly, temptation. When the devil gets you alone and you feel isolated, abandoned, Things aren't working out. Man, temptation comes at you like that roaring lion. Man, it is going to be on your doorstep. You're going to make a decision to follow God into some hard times in your life. And don't you know that that is exactly where the devil is going to test you like he did Jesus in the wilderness? When you're weak, when you're weary, when you're worn out, he's going to come at you with temptation and say, well, just, just go for this relationship. Just go for this drug. Go, go for that drink. Just go for, uh, you know, that. look online. You know, you might find something there. He's going to do all these things. And two times, David has the opportunity to kill Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, Saul comes. He's looking for David, a couple, 3,000 soldiers. Uh, Saul goes to a cave to relieve himself, but he doesn't even know that David and his men are hiding in the back. And the, the, David's men said, All right, David, this is it. Take him out, David. It says, God has given him to your hands. And David knows. This isn't God's timing. This isn't how God wants it to happen. I'm not supposed to win this way. This isn't what I'm supposed to do. God's got a plan for my life, and it's not to tear people down and destroy them, especially within the house of God. Uh, and so he cuts the little hem off of Saul's robe, and, man, he feels even guilty about that. And he, as soon as Saul leaves, he goes out He says, Saul, don't you know I have the opportunity to kill you right now? I could have, but I didn't. And Saul begins to weep and repent, but it's a false humility. Uh, and, and David would try to make amends. And that's that open door in your life. Are you always willing to make amends with that person? Be willing to come back in the right relationship with them so far as it depends on you. The Bible says uh, we're not to throw dirt at people like sometimes we could. But it says instead you should heap coals on them, which I would think would hurt more, right? Uh, I'd rather be thrown dirt at than heap coals on. And the Bible says in Romans twelve twenty, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. You're going to shame them with your good works and kindness. So don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. David had a different way of fighting back. It was with humility and righteousness and goodness and kindness and mercy. And it shamed Saul that day that Saul left, embraced David and wept and and went on his way. But because he never had true repentance, he would come back and again pursue David over and over again. The Bible says that 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 10, that David would ultimately give Saul completely up to the Lord and say, God, he's yours. 
He's yours. I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. My heart is right, God. You know my heart is right. Perhaps you're being tested today, but are you going to follow God by faith? Hebrews 12, 3 says, For consider Jesus. He endured so much hostility by sinners against himself so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart. You know, Satan, like Saul, seems to be a ruling king today. But now one day, the righteous king, King Jesus, is going to take the authority that's rightfully his on this earth. And it may feel like in your life that Saul is reigning king and that you're on the run and maybe the devil is out to get you and attack you and tear you down and break apart your marriage, break apart your family, break apart your relationship with your parents, break apart your relationship with your kids, your workplace, all this stuff. Just know that even if it feels like Saul is on the throne, God's got a plan. King Jesus is coming. He's the true, righteous, reigning king. And here's the legacy that you had to, David had to trust God's plan. And I'm closing with this. David had to flee in faith. He had to fight in faith. And he had to follow in faith. Because God had a plan for David's wilderness experience. God was making David from a battlefield, tested, Goliath-fighting little boy. And he would make him into a broken blessing. David in this time would write Psalms 31. And it says, I'm forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. I've heard slander of many terror on every side. They're taking counsel against me. They've schemed to take away my life. But then he would end that passage and say, The Lord preserves the faithful. He repays the proud. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all who hope in the Lord. David, God would have a plan in this season. And he would, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, says that everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to David. And he became a captain over them. And there was about 400 men with him. And they would grow to 600 men and into their families. You know what happened? You know who those men are? The Bible says as David got to the position God had for him and became king, God called these people the mighty men of God. These outcasts who were broken and undone and has-beens and heretics and all the discontented, all the broken, in your middle of your broken season, in the middle when you're going through the most, God may be calling people to you that as you walk through your healing, they're going to walk through your healing with you because they need healing. They need the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And God might be just using you to minister to people in your loneliness and your depression and your divorce and your uh, uh, your hatred and your outcasts and all these outcasts come to him and God would make these men some of the mightiest men ever to walk the face of the earth. Men who could take on hundreds of soldiers single-handedly would come out of places of brokenness, of darkness, of loneliness, of isolation. Are you hearing me today? God has greatness in place for you as you follow him by faith. And you may be in the loneliest, darkest cave in the most barren desert, but God can make you into a mighty man and woman of God if you trust Him. So you may be like an outcast, but God can turn you into a legend. 
And only this, in the starkest, deepest pits of these caves, David would become the most prolific hymn writer of all time. Hymns that would span the ages. Dozens and dozens of songs to the Lord would be written. And for millions of people, David would be the author of hope to countless millions around the world. What songs are you singing in your wilderness? What songs are you singing in your loneliness and your isolation? And David would sing this song, Psalms 34, verse 18. In the midst of his brokenness, in the midst as he had fled by faith and was fighting spiritual battles by faith while holding his tongue and holding his spirit, trusting in the bread of God, trusting in the testimony of God, he would say, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves all who are crushed in spirit. And many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Hallelujah. Worship team, would you come? Where are you at today? Where are you at today? You may be going through toxic relationships, people problems. We all have them. But how will you follow the Lord by faith? How will you fight spiritual battles? How will you sing in your caves at night? How will you worship the Lord in loneliness and depression and anxiety and fear? Will we hold our tongues... Will we trust in the Lord? Will we set those boundaries but know that God is fighting our battles? There may be necessary endings in relationships in your life for a season. That's okay. We may not be perfect like David. We may make mistakes. But along the way, we're trusting in God and His testimony, receiving from the Word of God, making sure we're right with Him, finding counsel with others, and saying, God, lead me through this process. There's no one formula that's going to lead you through every type of relationship. There's different ways God's going to lead you through a marriage issue. He's going to dif- different ways He's going to lead you through a workplace or a parent issue, child issue. You've got to trust in the Lord. You've got to find counsel in Him, counsel in His church. But know that God has got you. He may want you to be a beautiful, broken blessing, a ministry to countless thousands around you. What's God making you into?